This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, May 18th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Anne Brown named new San Miguel County Commissioner. Norwood unites against proposed solar farm. Open space opens doors for young students and a mountain weather forecast. But first, did you know Kodo News has a podcast? KOTO News keeps you informed, educated, and entertained. With the podcast, you can stay up to date while on the go. Search for KOTO Community Radio News on Apple Podcast, Google Play, and newly Spotify. Of course, you can always find us at KOTO.org or by turning your FM dial. Ann Brown is San Miguel County's new county commissioner. Brown was appointed into the seat by the San Miguel County Democrats in a vote on Wednesday night. The vacancy committee statutes under Colorado law are, frankly speaking, somewhat unusual. That's Eleni Constantine, chair of the San Miguel County Democrats, speaking at the appointment meeting prior to the vote. A relatively small number of people get to select a replacement for an official elected by the public. And we have to do that in a very short time frame where the appointment passes completely out of local control and goes to the governor. I want to thank all the applicants. It's really great that we have such amazing individuals who are ready to stand up and do a really, really hard job. And so thank you very much for standing for this position. Each applicant was given the opportunity to share a few words before the vote, and then the vote took place. Vacancy committee members placed their vote either in person or remotely. Did the credentials committee receive a ballot from all the committee members present? Yes, we did. Does a candidate have a majority? We do have a candidate with a majority. Who is that candidate? The candidate with the majority of the votes is Ann Brown. Congratulations, Commissioner Brown. Brown garnered the most votes in just one round. On Thursday, she said it's exciting and an honor to step into the role. You know, I have big shoes to fill. Hillary worked so hard for so long for our county. And, uh, you know, I'm going to give it my all. Brown notes running for a county commissioner has been on her radar for some time. But she was working and raising kids. It was working in the public health department during COVID that really pushed her to want to serve. That gave me some insight into what our county government was like. And I was just really blown away. I was blown away by the, uh, you know, the intelligence and the work ethic and the uh, grace, I guess, of the county staff and obviously of the commissioners who were really under fire then and um, just had a whole different perspective and appreciation of what county government can do. Um, then when I heard that this position was open, I was like, oh my gosh, this is could be an opportunity to work at a different level, a broader level, a higher level, um, you know, more about policy and and influencing things also at the state and federal level. So it it just felt like, um, you know, like the perfect opportunity. In the next year and a half, Brown says she's looking forward to diving into, of course, affordable housing. The second thing would be the East End Master Plan, um, which really that's up to the Planning Commission to design and adopt, but then it will be up to the commissioners to implement. Finally, she's looking forward to working to increase representation and advocacy for the Latinx community. There are a lot of people here who on whom we depend and who we care a great deal about and have a lot of respect for, and they don't necessarily have a voice in county government through no fault of their own, whether they um, are, 
you know, not um, registered voters for whatever reason, or because they simply are working 24-7 and don't have the bandwidth to participate. And so um, I've already been working with our Latino community since COVID, or since I started in my COVID role, and have developed some wonderful relationships there with both the leadership and, you know, uh, residents. And that is something really important to me. Outside of the nuts and bolts of the job, Brown says she's excited to become even more connected with the community. I worked remotely for, I think, about 30 years. Um, And so it just feels so good to really dig in and be like wholeheartedly here. Anne Brown will be sworn in as San Miguel County Commissioner at 4.30 p.m. on Tuesday, May 23rd. She will serve in the role of County Commissioner until January 2025. The seat will be up for election in November 2024. The Lone Cone Library in Norwood is packed. More than 200 members of the community are meeting for a presentation on a proposed solar farm just outside of town. The solar farm, called Wrights Mesa Solar Project, is 100 megawatts built on roughly 600 acres over four parcels of land on Lone Cone Road. One Energy Renewables, the company proposing the project, was in Norwood to host the meeting. All of this information has been public for 10 days. We put out a little bit to get folks interested, to get everybody to the meeting. Um, we're hoping to be as, as transparent as possible, and certainly once we move into the county permitting process, um, you're going you're to be able to have access to absolutely everything that the county does. The welcome everything was less than warm. Yeah, please, please hold your comments to the end. You can, you can, you can chew me out in about 30 minutes. So. Nathan Stotler is associate director for project development at One Energy Renewables. He says while he understands not everyone will agree, solar is an ideal renewable energy source in Colorado. Solar uh, is, is really a great Colorado product. Um, as everybody here knows, it's, we get a ton of sunshine in Colorado. Um, really, really great solar resource and one of the reasons that One Energy chooses to work here. Um, Colorado is also interested in reaching 100% renewable energy by the end of 2040, um, and this solar farm would certainly contribute to that. And solar is also seen as a, a very highly compatible use with many rural areas, although I understand some folks here are going to disagree with me. Um, it's a non-permanent use at the end of the lifetime. It's going to be removed, and the land's going to be very easily restored to the previous use. Um, this, the permit that we're seeking is a temporary permit for our solar farm only. This is not going to change into an industrial zone, an industrial parcel that will not be replaced by a more intensive use at the end of its lifetime. According to Stotler, One Energy is looking for a temporary permit for the solar farm, lasting 30 to 40 years. When it comes to the western slope, Stotler says tri-state generation and transmission has shown an interest in having renewable energy in the area, and there's also the land. One Energy is working with one state-owned parcel and several privately-owned parcels to build the solar farm. All right, a few more things about why we chose this location. So we've had some great suggestions from some folks on some other places we can stick our solar farm. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of y'all had suggested uh, further west in San Miguel County. It's open, there's nobody lives out there. I agree, I would rather put it out there. We looked at that before we ever looked at Wrights Mesa. We looked in Dolores County, we looked at Montezuma County. Um, and the, the wide open spaces out there. So much of that land is um, Gunnison sage grouse habitat, which makes it sort of unbuildable. 
Um, threatened species, or sorry, endangered species, it's just that land is, is untouchable for us. So um, I understand that's, that's not the answer anybody wants to hear, but that, that eliminates quite a bit of what would otherwise be very good solar land. The land also allows One Energy to join in with an already existing transmission line. There are many transmission lines in the country, very few on the West Slope. Um, and those that are there, a lot of them, the energy capacity that moves along those lines has already been spoken for. So pretty rare to find one that does have some capacity, and so that's what led us to the line that crosses Wrights Mesa. When it comes to local benefits for the community, Stotler points to nearly $8 million in property taxes to the county over the life of the project, influx of dollars while the project is being built, and lease money from the property going to Colorado schools. But during public comment, lasting over an hour, residents of Norwood were not sold. One Energy has not handled a project of this size, and we are not the place for you to learn how to do your business. This community, I think, I speak for all this when I say, we've been screwed more than once by the Eastern Slope, as far as, you know, we don't see that $9 million for our schools, period. We don't see any of that stuff. So you can talk to us all you want about, oh, these big tax benefits, they're gonna help us. Telluride will get the, the ta uh, land taxes and the you know Easter Slope is gonna get the school taxes. We won't see it. The town doesn't have the capacity to meet the needs. I don't know what your traffic control plan is gonna be coming up Norwood Hill. Where are you gonna put your people? How are you gonna get them here? And how are you not gonna ecologically and economically devastate this community for large industrial benefit. It, it doesn't benefit us. It benefits your guys' pockets. I'm a citizen. I'm a father, husband, business owner. But I'm the, really the only person in here you guys need to really worry about. Because I just found out that I identify as a sage grouse. <laughs> While solar farms undeniably contribute to mitigating climate change and reducing greenhouse gas emissions, it is crucial to consider the negative impacts as well. Finding a balance between renewable energy generation and minimizing economical and public disturbance should be your priority. This project is pushed and desired by people on the east side of our county, but they do not want this project on the east side. They can't even stand the possibility of affordable housing in the Telluride area. We are not their dumping ground. For most of us, this is not an ideological issue. If that was slated to be a coal mine, and we were going to strip mine that, all of the same people would be in this room opposed to it. It is not ideological. The issue that I see here is that you came into a community, and you came in here without our input about this. I urge all of you to reach out to our county commissioners non-stop because we can complain to these people all day long and they don't, they don't care. It's our county commissioners that we have to change their mind. One Energy plans to submit its proposal to San Miguel County in the next several weeks. The project needs approval from the Planning and Zoning Commission and the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners to move forward. One Energy hopes to construct the solar project on Wrights Mesa in the next three to four years. Over the past 16 years, the town of Telluride has been paying off its debt on the valley floor. 
This February, it made the last of those payments, placing the roughly 500 acres of open space securely in the hands of the community. As KOTO's Gavin McGough reports, this week, some of Telluride's youngest members visited the marshlands for a day of learning. And so, do you have yours? Okay, are you ready for your very important question? Who do you think owns the valley floor? Who do you think? You. Oh, jeez, I wish. <laughs> if I did, I would do what already happened. I would give it to all of you, because that's what happened. This valley floor belongs to all of us. There's no houses out there, there's no golf course, it's all been preserved for all of you. The town already celebrates Valley Floor Day on May 9th, and we try to make our day as close to that as possible. But today, as you can see, is a beautiful day with the birds singing, and we're super happy to be out here with the kids. It's May 17th, and it's Valley Floor Day for Telluride Elementary's youngest students. Executive Director of the Pinhead Institute, Sarah Holbrook, is greeting classes and telling them the idyllic marshland just below town is theirs for posterity. Although Pinhead organizes the annual day of experiential education, folks from nonprofits across town turn out to lead activities ranging from a pollinator scavenger hunt to a miniature historic construction project. Teresa Kanishnuk of the Telluride Historical Museum explains the gist of her station. The first peoples who lived here were, and still are, the Ute peoples. And on the valley floor, they would come here in the summers and build hunting shelters. So we're going to engineer a shelter with the kids. Kind of, they would call them wiki-ups, but people also probably think of them as teepees. Over by the river, which is running high and brown with spring snowbelt, Elena Hauser says she'll go more into the science side of things. I work at the water and wastewater plant for the town of Telluride, so I'm going to be talking about nutrients in the river and how that affects the life and the biology in the rivers. And then we're going to do a little activity where we throw the pine cones or sticks or whatever floats into the river and see which side of the river moves quickest. Observing the water rushing by will teach kids about the erosion, which has carved out the box canyon they call home. Or that's the theory, at least. Adrian Berger from the San Miguel Watershed Coalition adds, really, it's the values behind the day, which he hopes stick with the kids over the years. I don't think they'll remember kind of the specifics, but I hope that this up-and-coming generation just remains appreciative of the space and gets to utilize it, whether it's for fishing or paddleboarding or just going on a hike or whatever it might be, and that they can appreciate the ecological values, not just the recreational values. At the pollinator station, first grader Rock Owens has found something he'd like to share. Go for it. A butterfly? Maybe baby bees? And are these all pollinators? Um, yes. Bella Karali, who reports she's seen ducks and algae in the pond, says this isn't her first time coming out to the valley floor. Uh, we've been here out before. And uh, what's your favorite thing about getting out here? Today makes special because it's like we get to explore the nature and um, explore new animals and it's so fun being out in nature. For Leah Cristodoro, director of the Telluride Institute's Watershed Education Program, the repetition of the day is part of its importance. I just love that it happens every year. I think it's a great opportunity for kids to um, explore their own connection with nature and reciprocity with land. 
Um, and starting that young helps us create stewards when they're older. I think it's important. The Valley Floor Day is now in its sixth year. It's greeted countless excited kids with a display of animal and bird life, budding flora, and the signs of a Telluride spring arriving at long last. Holbrook agrees, having kids back again and again will drive home their belonging in this place. If you think of it, there are three different grades here, the kindergartners, the first graders, and the second graders. So the second graders will have been out here for the third time in three years, and that's a lovely thing. And I think kids do feel, as they get older, more kind of empowered to think of this place as their own and, and a place full of bounty and wonder. Reporting from our very own Valley Floor, this is Gavin McGough. Mental health continues to be an issue for our community and region. One in five people in Colorado experience mental health issues. To help the community gain skills and resources to help those in need, Tri-County Health Network is hosting a virtual youth mental health first aid class next week. The course is designed to teach parents, teachers, caregivers, peers, or neighbors how to help young people, those 12 to 18, who are experiencing mental health or addiction challenges. The training will include work on anxiety, depression, substance use, disruptive behaviors, and eating disorders. The Youth Mental Health First Aid training will take place on Tuesday, May 23rd from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The training will take place via Zoom. Registration is required and available at tchnetwork.org. Warmer weather means summer recreational activities, and Colorado Parks and Wildlife is urging everyone to stay safe, especially while on the water. According to CPW, there have already been three drownings this year. In 2022, the majority of fatalities occurred from individuals swimming, paddleboarding, kayaking, or using an inflatable the majority without a life jacket. CPW adds cold water temperatures exist year-round in Colorado, and a strong wind gust can knock an individual into the water easily. Colorado boating regulations require all adults to carry a life jacket while using a paddleboard, kayak, or larger craft, and all children 12 and under are required to wear a life jacket at all times on the water. Three states that share water from the Colorado River may be close to agreeing on major cutbacks. That's according to a new report from the Washington Post. KUNC's Alex Hager has more. California, Arizona, and Nevada are reportedly nearing a deal to conserve water in exchange for more than $1 billion in federal payouts. The agreement would cut back their use by about 13 percent over the next three years. That would keep more water in the nation's two largest reservoirs. Lake Mead and Lake Powell have been sapped by years of steady demand and drought fueled by climate change. News of the potential three-state agreement comes ahead of a May 30th deadline to comment on a federal proposal that could bring mandatory water cutbacks. The deal would be a relatively rare bit of agreement between California and Arizona, which have been at odds in other recent water negotiations. I'm Alex Hager. Farm equipment these days is state-of-the-art. And when it breaks down, it's not always easy to get fixed. Part of the problem is farmers and ranchers are actually prohibited by most manufacturers from doing their own repairs. 
But as KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports, a new Colorado law intends to change that. A few miles from the Nebraska border on Colorado's eastern plains, Danny Woods' family has been growing wheat, corn, and other grains for generations. Wood relies on rain to water his crops instead of irrigation, which means planting has to be carefully timed. If you don't get your crop planted or you lose in a hailstorm, it's just devastation because you don't go to work and get a paycheck. There went your paycheck. Wood has over a million dollars worth of farm equipment like tractors, planters, and combine harvesters to manage his 8,000 acres of crops. He bought his computerized tractor just over a year ago. This is the one that caused the problems. The massive red vehicle is controlled by touchscreen monitors. When it broke down, he had to wait four days for an authorized technician to come fix it, at a cost of nearly $10,000. We tried everything, couldn't get it to work. So we just waited for them to come. And he put that code in. If they would have just told us the code, we could have put it in ourselves. Wood's experience is far from unique. Farmers and ranchers across Colorado can't fix their equipment because manufacturers don't give them access to the specialized tools and technical manuals to do so. But the new state law guarantees the right to repair one's own agriculture equipment. It requires manufacturers to hand over parts, software, instructions, and other necessary tools. State Representative Brianna Titone helped write the law. This puts them in that category of being able to have the, the, the latest, greatest equipment and be able to stay on top of their repairs and keep moving and keep the production going and producing more stuff to grow and, and feed our communities. That's a good thing. Other states have tried and failed to pass similar legislation. The head of the National Farmers Union, Rob LaRue, says that's mostly because lawmakers don't understand the problem. To him, it's an individual rights issue. If we think about it as our car or our phone or something like that, we have this idea that, you know, this is our property, right? Farmers are very independent. They feel the exact same way uh, about their equipment that they've made an incredible investment in. Titone sponsored the new legislation along with Republican Representative Ron Weinberg. Most of his GOP colleagues voted against the bill, though. That includes Representative Richard Holtorf, who says, This is big government forcing business to do things perhaps against their will. It's an overreach and extension of government. The real problem is we don't have enough technicians out there. Manufacturing trade groups also have fought bills that allow user repairs. Joni Wolfel is the president of the Far West Equipment Dealers Association, which represents agriculture equipment dealers across the western U.S. She says the industry has put a lot of time and money into training technicians. They want to take everything that the industry has done all the investment that they've made in their employees, and they want you to hand it over to them. And that's what that law tries to do. Wolfel and Holtorf say farmers and ranchers often have to wait days for a technician to show up because there aren't enough to go around. Danny Wood, back in northeast Colorado, is one of Representative Holtorf's constituents. He says the new state law will help take some pressure off the technicians. They're, they're going to have plenty of service. And when it takes five days for them to come look at your combine and three days for them to come back and look at your tractor, they're overbooked anyway, so they need some other help. He just wants farmers, like himself, to be able to fix what they can when they need to so they can successfully plant and harvest their crops. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight, with a low around 40 degrees. Friday, there's an 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a high around 60 degrees during the day and a low around 40 degrees at night. 
Saturday, expect showers and thunderstorms with a high near 60 degrees. Saturday night calls for a chance of showers and thunderstorms with a low around 40. This has been the news for Thursday, May 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.